Section 13 of Piccadilly, a Fragment of Contemporary Biography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Piccadilly, a Fragment of Contemporary Biography by Lawrence Oliphant. Section 13, Conclusion, Moral, Part 2 lady ursula was writing and as she looked up i saw the traces of tears upon her cheeks though she smiled as she frankly gave me her hand i half expected you lord frank as i knew you were to call on mamma to-day and i thought you would not leave without seeing me but i expected to have been sent for don't you know that this is very sacred ground and that the privilege of treading upon it is accorded to very few i have that to tell you i said gravely which i can only talk of privately i have left lady broadham downstairs and it is the result of my interview with her that i want to communicate to you do you know that she contemplated taking a very serious step i did not know how to approach the subject and felt embarrassed now that i found myself obliged to explain to a daughter that her mother was going to marry the man that daughter had rejected as an act of revenge no said lady ursula i have suspected by her preoccupied manner for many days past that mamma had decided upon something but i have shrunk from speaking to her of her own plans indeed she seemed to have avoided me in a way which she never did before before telling you what she intended doing i must premise that she has quite abandoned the idea therefore don't let yourself be distressed by what might have been but won't be now i risk this assertion as though lady broadham had not told me that she had abandoned the idea and was at that moment in a dead faint i felt certain that her first impulse on coming to would be to abandon it well said lady ursula with her lip trembling and her eyes cast down if you think it right that you should tell me do so remember she is my mother it was nothing so very dreadful after all i said and tried to reassure her by a careless manner for i saw how much she dreaded the unknown the fact is lady broadham has been driven to despair by the family embarrassments and we must make allowances for her under the circumstances then perhaps she was under the influence of pique at all events she has made up her mind to accept a proposal which mr chundango had the audacity to make lady ursula raised her eyes in a bewildered way to mine it was evident that she had failed even now to comprehend me what business i thought had i to come up here after all it is a piece of impertinence in me and i trembled at my rashness what will she think i shall shock her and ruin myself in her estimation irretrievably and i wished myself back again slapping the soles of lady broadham's feet but lady broadham was already making use of those very souls and was marching upstairs at that identical moment for before i could find words to explain my meaning more fully to lady ursula and while i was yet doubting whether i should not back out of the whole subject in stalked her ladyship 
very white, with lips compressed and an expression on her face which so terrified Ursula that she forgot my speech in the amazement and alarm which her mother's aspect caused her. "'What are you doing in my daughter's private sitting-room, Lord Frank?' said Lady Broadham between her teeth. "'I came to tell her of your sudden illness and explain the cause of it,' I replied calmly. "'And have you done so?' and I saw how much depended on my answer by the nervous way in which Lady Broadham clenched her hand to control her emotion. She has given me a good many mauvais quoi d'heure, I thought. I will give her one now. I was just telling Lady Ursula, I said, that Mr. Chundango had positively had the impudence to propose to you. Lady Broadham gave a sort of suppressed scream when you came in then you did not tell her what he proposed she said no i leave that to you i said maliciously my dear ursula i would not tell you because i know you do not approve of speculations and i feel myself that they are questionable if not actually sinful my dear child i did it for the best chundango wanted me to join him in one of his indian speculations and proposed to me to lady broadham paused coloured looked me full in the face and then said slowly to unite my resources to his fortunately lord frank has just discovered in time that he is a bankrupt so of course all partnership arrangements between us are at an end and I am most thankful for the lesson. You know I promised you once before that I would give up trying to retrieve my own fortunes by commercial speculation, even of the most legitimate description. And now, my dear Frank, and you, my sweet child, forgive me for having even thought of yielding to this temptation. You must have seen how much it has weighed upon me, Ursula, dear, for some time past but let us be thankful that i have been saved from it and the handkerchief was again called into requisition well done lady broadham that was a triumph of white lying and the best piece of acting you have done in my presence it so touched lady ursula that she threw herself on her mother's neck never mind mamma i know that whatever you do is out of love for us but indeed we don't want to be rich broadham has no expensive tastes and i would only be too glad to get away from london let us let the house and take a little cottage somewhere in the country we shall be so much happier and lady ursula nestled herself on her mother's cheek little dreaming that she had nearly had chundango for a father-in-law and evidently much relieved at finding that this dreadful intelligence for which i was preparing her was not some horrid crime but only another money affair as i looked at the mother and daughter clasped in each other's arms and pictured to myself the thoughts that were hidden in those hearts now palpitating against each other i felt that it would almost be a righteous act to tear them asunder for ever never mind you have given me a hold over you that i shall turn to account that lie was dexterously worded and evidenced infinite presence of mind 
but you will have first to throw over Chundango, and then to shut his mouth, and then you will have to shut mine, and finally to shut Drippings his mouth. Oh, my dear Lady Broadham, what a very slimy and disagreeable course you have marked out for yourself. Mr. Chundango is in the drawing-room, my lady, said Drippings, appearing at the door at this critical juncture and he took a survey of the group as one who should say within himself here is some new start which i am not yet up to but which i soon shall be and he waited at the door to observe the effect of his intelligence i shall be down immediately said lady broadham coldly and drippings vanished perhaps under the circumstances you had better leave mr chundango to my tender mercies i said significantly there can be no reason why you should ever see him again i emphasized the word ever purposely and assumed a tone of authority under which lady broadham winced our eyes met for a moment and then i looked at her nose and i am sure she read my thought which was I must keep it on the grindstone, for she sighed and acquiesced. "'How do, my dear Mr. Chundango?' said I gaily, to the Oriental, who seemed rather taken aback when he saw me enter the drawing-room instead of Lady Broadham, and whose lips got paler than was altogether consistent with their usual colour. "'I must congratulate you on the prospect of becoming a legislator.' I hear Lord Scilly is going to put you in for his burrows. Yes, said Chundango, affectedly, his lordship has been good enough to press them upon me, but I have determined not to go in as any man's nominee. The fact is, I wanted to ask Lady Broadham's advice upon that very matter, and have come here expressly to do so. Well, she is not very well, and has deputed me to consult with you instead. Come, I said confidentially, what is it all about? I shall be too glad to assist you. The puzzled expression of Chundango's face at this moment was a study. Has Lady Broadham told him everything or not? How much does he know? What line shall I take? And he stroked his chin doubtfully come out with it i said sharply i haven't time to stand here all day waiting till you decide how much you will tell me and how much you won't now this is the kind of speech which disturbs a native more than any other but which would be inexcusable in polite society i had lived too much in the east to be trammelled with the conventionalities of europe and my friend felt as much for he cringed at once after the manner of his race i have no intention of deceiving you he said i don't know whether lady broadham has told you that we are to be united in matrimony yes i said she has well i want to make arrangements by which the ceremony may be accomplished without delay for i feel the suspense is trying might i ask you to find out the earliest moment which would suit her convenience i need not say that i hope you will be present i suppose you would prefer it if possible before the arrival of the next mail from bombay i said 
chundango who is by no means deficient in intelligence saw at a glance that it was useless to attempt to deceive me i see that you know he said meekly the terrible misfortune by which i have been overtaken through no fault of my own i am quite sure it will not affect lady broadham's resolution i am quite sure it will i said and the fact is as she did not want a scene she sent me down to give you to understand that everything is at an end between you you look surprised i went on for chundango was not yet so familiar with the customs of polite society as to believe such heartless conduct on the part of lady broadham possible but i assure you this is the usual form among ladies in london i am well aware no hindu woman would have done it but you must remember mr chundango that you are in a christian and a civilized country where money is essential to make the pot boil not in a tropical heathen land where a pocket-handkerchief is sufficient for clothing and a few plantains for sustenance we don't keep our hearts in a state of nature in this country a bit more than our bodies it would not be considered proper you'll soon get over it but chundango's eyes were gleaming with revenge ah he said drawing his breath with a sibilant sound everybody in london shall hear how i have got over it nobody would believe you and you would only be laughed at lady broadham would flatly deny it we always do deny those little episodes my good innocent chundango how much you have to learn and how simple and guileless they are in your native country to what we are here no 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 come with me i will do the best for everybody and send you back to your mother dutiful and repentant you had no business ever to desert her and i rang the bell tell lady broadham i said to drippings that i have gone with mr chundango into the city and will call again to-morrow i took chundango straight to bodwinkle's and found the millionaire in close confabulation with spiffy goldtip between them was the address to the electors of shuffleborough with which my readers are already familiar we must alter it slightly said spiffy as i entered what haven't you issued it yet i asked no he said we were just going to send it out to-day then i am in time to stop you your address spiffy so outraged stepton that he has determined to stand himself and neither you nor bodwinkle have a chance so i would advise you to keep that document back i said turning to bodwinkle who looked dumbfounded and crestfallen a nice mess you have got me into between you he said sulkily gazing at us both spiffy has but my turn has yet to come bodwinkle i think you know more of mr chundango's affairs than any one else in fact i suppose you have what the tradesmen call a little account between you he wishes to say a few words confidentially to you while i want to have a moment alone with spiffy you know all about him i said nodding towards chundango collapsed hasn't he said spiffy yes i said but it won't be known for a day or two 
At present he is Lord Scilly's nominee. Bodwinkle wants a borough. He may either ignore his last programme, as it is not yet issued, and adopt Scilly's political views, or, if he is too conscientious, when Chundango retires at the last moment, he may snatch the seat. All that is your affair. You know Scilly and Bodwinkle both better than I do. Now I have reason for wanting Chundango shipped back at once to Bombay, and for wishing to close this long-standing affair of Lady Broadhem's with Bodwinkle. Make the best terms you can for Chundango, and see what Bodwinkle is disposed to do in the other matter, and let me know the result to-morrow. Keep Chundango here now to refer to. Goodbye, Bodwinkle, I called out. Spiffy has got some good news to give you, but be merciful to our friend here. And I passed my arm through Chundango's and drew him to a corner. Now, look here, I said in a whisper. If you will bury the recollection of what has passed between you and Lady Broadham, and never breathe a word of it even in your dreams, I will get Bodwinkle to start you again in Bombay. But you must go back at once and stay there. Now, you may stay here, for you will be wanted. I saw Spiffy, meantime, imparting to Bodwinkle his projects for turning to account the new prospects I had been the means of opening out to him. Dear me, I thought, as I, for the second time that day, threaded my way westward from the city, all this is unravelling itself very neatly, considering how much dirt is mixed up in it but it is not quite far enough advanced to be communicated to Grandon. The fact is, I had a sort of suspicion that he would not altogether approve of my mode of carrying my point, even when my only desire was to secure his and Ursula's happiness. No, I thought he would have scruples and object and bother. I won't tell him anything till it is all done but I must tell him something, as I promised him some good news to-day, and he is waiting at home on purpose. Well, old fellow, I think I have got a borough for you after all. It stupidly did not occur to me before, but you are just the man for the constituency. I thought you had been to Lady Broadham's, and were to bring me back some good news, said Grandon, with a disappointed air. So I have, I replied but I am bound to secrecy for another twenty-four hours. Meantime, listen, I am going to retire from Dunderhead. I wrote my address a few days ago, but did not send it. They are therefore quite unprepared. I will retire to-morrow. The nomination is to be in two or three days, and what, with the suddenness of the affair and my influence, your return is certain. You going to retire? said Grandon, astounded. Why, you never told me of this. When did you make up your mind? It made itself up, as it always does, I said, laughing. It never puts me in the painful position of having to decide, but takes its own line at once. I am going to America by the next steamer. Now, when I tell my readers that when I began to talk to Grandon I had no intention whatever of going to America, they will be able to form some idea, if they have not done so already, of what a funny mind mine is. It came upon me with the irresistible force of an inspiration. 
and from that moment I was morally booked and bound at all hazards to go. Grandon knew me so well that he was less surprised than he might have been, and only sighed deeply. He felt at that moment that there was something hopelessly wrong about me. He had been so often encouraged by a certain steadiness which I maintained for some time, and which led him to think me changed, and so often disappointed. For when he least expected it, I broke the slender fetters of common sense and conventionalism, which he and society between them had woven round me, and went off at a tangent. "'Never mind, old fellow,' I said, laughing. "'There is no use sighing over me. I have pleasures and satisfactions arising from within that I should not have if I was like everybody else.' now for instance and the eagerness and turmoil which my new project excited within me seemed to reduce every other consideration to insignificance for i began to feel conscious that somehow or other though i had often been in america before this time it was to be to me a newer world than ever are you going alone said grandon for i had not finished my sentence no i said and i guessed who my companion was to be though no words had been exchanged between us who is going with you he asked wonderingly for my manner struck him and i scarcely heard his question so rapt at that instant seemed all my faculties i think i fell asleep and dreamt but i can't recall exactly what i seemed to see grandon was shaking me i thought in the most heartless manner and I told him as much when I opened my eyes. The fact was, I was a little knocked up with excitement, but I would not go and lie down till he promised me to stand for Dunderhead. Then I went to bed, and did not get up till the lamps were being lighted in Piccadilly. The result of such irregular hours was that I was in bed next morning when Spiffy Goldtip knocked at my bedroom door. He had worked very hard in Lady Broadham's interest, and explained to me the scheme which he had arranged with Bodwinkle, by means of which, at a very considerable sacrifice of my own capital, I could start Lady Broadham and her son afresh in the world, on a very limited income, but devoid of encumbrances of a threatening or embarrassing nature. I would far rather have invested the same amount in securing a larger income to Grandon and Ursula, if they were ever destined to be united, but I knew that, in the first place, nothing would induce them to take it from me, and in the second, that I could only even now hope to extort Lady Broadham's consent to the match by the prospect I was enabled to hold out to her of a period of financial repose. After all, my own wants were moderate and fifteen thousand pounds a year satisfied them as well as twenty thousand. "'We accomplished great things yesterday,' said Spiffy, rubbing his hands gleefully, for he had himself benefited by the settlement above alluded to. When I showed Bodwinkle that we could make the silly boroughs a certainty, he behaved like a gentleman, and our friend Chundango is to go out to Bombay by the next mail, under more favourable conditions than he could have possibly expected. Of course I shall retire from contesting Shuffleborough to the more congenial atmosphere of Homburg. 
"Heigho!" sighed Spiffy, "I have gone through a good deal of wear and tear this season, and want to recruit." I got rid of Spiffy as soon as I had heard what he had to say, and I was so satisfied with his intelligence that I determined at once to see Grandon, and to take him with me to Lady Broadhem's. "Grandon," I said, abruptly entering his room, "I want you to come with me at once to Grosvenor Square." "Did Lady Broadhem tell you to ask me?" He looked up with such a sad, wistful gaze, as he said this, that my heart melted towards him, for I felt I had spoken roughly. So I drew a chair close to him, and, sitting by his side, placed my arm in his, as we did in the old school days. "'My dear old fellow, the moment is come for you to prove your friendship by trusting me thoroughly.' I know how rudely Lady Broadhem has always behaved to you whenever you have met. I know how my conduct has perplexed and grieved you. Well, now I have come to ask you to forgive us both. I have nothing to forgive, but it would be an utter want of taste in me to go there unless she expects me and wishes to see me, and I can hardly hope that, he said with a forced smile. For a moment I doubted whether I dared to risk it, but I had placed Lady Broadhem in a position upon which I could venture a good deal, and I longed for the triumph and gratification of enjoying the success of my own handiwork. It would be a triumph full of alloy, but I wanted to see how much I could achieve and bear. So my hesitation vanished. I will take the responsibility on myself, I said, and believe me, I would not urge it if I was not perfectly certain that I was doing what is right. Remember how many times I have blindly followed your advice. I only ask you this once to follow mine, and secure your own happiness. The temptation was too strong, and Grandon yielded, but it was with a reluctant, doubtful step that he approached the door he had not this year ventured to enter. It was opened by drippings, and I took the opportunity of having a little private conversation with him in the hall, in the course of which it was arranged that he should exchange her ladyship's service for mine, and accompany me to America. The truth is, I proposed settling him there, and making him send for his wife and family. He knew too much of Lady Broadhem's affairs to be at all a desirable domestic either to herself or to her friends in this country. "'Lady Broadhem is in her own sitting-room, my lord,' said Drippings. "'Shall I show your lordship up to her?' "'No, if there is nobody in the drawing-room, take us there first. Now, Grandon, I will send for you when you are wanted. Keep quiet and don't get impatient.' And I left him and knocked at Lady Broadhem's door. The events of the last twenty-four hours had told upon her, and the old wrinkles had come back, with several new ones. She was at that critical age when a great grief or anxiety can make an elderly person antiquated in a night, just as hair will turn grey in a few hours. She put out her hand without speaking, but with an expression of resignation which seemed to say, I acknowledge myself beaten 
be a brute or anything else you like trample upon me pray i am down without the possibility of retaliating but you will get very little sport out of me badger me if you like i don't mean to show fight all this i read in her face as plainly as if she had said it and i thought this a moment when generosity on the part of the victor will prove one to be a true strategist and no one will appreciate it more than lady broadham with great gentleness and without allowing a shade of self-satisfaction to cross my face or to penetrate my tones i told her how i had propitiated bodwinkle banished chundango provided for drippings and succeeded at last in placing her affairs generally on a sound footing your genius will never be appreciated by the world frank she said smiling half ironically half sadly i'm quite aware of that i replied nor will this record of my experiences in it except by you and one or two others who know how true it is and now lady broadham you know the wish which is nearest my heart but which i don't venture to put in words and i held out my hand ah yes she said and i saw the slender nostril dilate with the effort it cost her to yield the point upon which she had been so long inflexible you want my consent to ursula's marriage with grandon i give it wait a moment i should like lady ursula to be present i said for even now i did not feel that i could trust the old lady thoroughly and i rang the bell it was delightful to see how submissively lady broadham sent for lady ursula and how kindly she greeted both son and daughter as they entered for broadham accompanied his sister i have sent for you my dear she said to tell you how much we owe to our kind friend here who has completely relieved my mind from all those anxieties which have been weighing upon it for the last few years by his noble and generous conduct ursula dear you will never know really how much you owe him for he has shown me that i have not done my duty to you as a mother and lady broadham's voice trembled upon my word i thought i do believe the old woman is sincere and i looked at her fixedly the tears were filling her eyes now pray heaven that we have got to heart at last it is like sinking a well in a thirsty desert and coming on water yes there they are welling out honest large drops chasing each other to the point of her nose oh my dear lady broadham i am beginning to love you and my eyes are beginning to swim too and before she knew where she was i threw my arms round her neck and kissed her an example which was rapidly followed both by ursula and broadham and which so overcame their mother that she buried her face in a pillow and sobbed out in tears that might at first have been bitter but were assuredly sweet and refreshing at last her repentance i don't think broadham had any very definite idea why he wept beyond a feeling of sympathy with his mother and the fact which i afterwards heard that wild harry had taken spiffy's advice and refused him so he mingled his tears with hers but lady ursula's eyes were dry and supernaturally brilliant as i gazed on the group my own heart seemed to swell to bursting 
I do really believe and trust that Lady Broadhem will give up the worldly holies and become a pious good woman, and that those talents and that force of character which she possesses may be dedicated to a higher service than they have heretofore been. If I have been the humble instrument of working the change, the sooner I send Grandon here and banish myself from the scene, the better, or I shall become vain and conceited, I thought, and I rose from my seat. Good-bye, Lady Broadham, I said. You will not see me again. I am going to America in three days, and must go to Flightyville to-morrow but i never thought i could have bid you all farewell and felt so happy at the prospect of parting and i threw one yearning glance at ursula in spite of myself your happiness is secured i do most firmly believe i said to her and as for you and i laid my hand on broadham's shoulder remember the experiment i proposed to you the other night and try it and I was moving off when Ursula seized my hand and almost dragged me back to her mother's side. She lifted up her eyes like one inspired, and the radiancy of her expression seemed to dazzle and blind me. Then she knelt down, and I knelt by her side, while her mother lay before us, her whole frame heaving with convulsive sobs, and Broadham stood by wondering and awestruck. I can't repeat that prayer here, but there was a power in those gentle accents which stilled the stormy elements as the waves of the sea were once stilled before and when the thrilling voice ceased there was a great calm and we knew that a change had been effected in that place then the floodgates were opened which had been to that moment barred and lady ursula threw herself on her mother's bosom and wept tears of gratitude and I stole silently away to the drawing-room, and led Grandon by the hand, without uttering a word, to that room into which a new atmosphere had descended, and a new breath had called into existence a new nature. He started back on the threshold at the picture before him. Lady Broadham, apparently scarcely conscious, clasped in the arms of her weeping daughter, and Broadham, poor Broadham, bewildered at the sight of the strong woman he had dreaded and worshipped thus suddenly breaking down was sitting on a footstool at his mother's side holding one of her hands helplessly good god frank said grandon in a whisper for neither lady broadham nor her daughter saw us what have you been doing beginning the work which is left for you to finish and i gently disengaged one of lady ursula's hands and drew it towards me on you i said to her solemnly has been bestowed a great gift use it as you have done and may he share it with you and support you in the lifelong trial it must involve and in the ridicule to which you will both be exposed for myself i go to seek it where i am told i shall alone find it i placed her hand in grandon's kissed her mother on the forehead and hurried from the room then the strain on my nervous system suddenly relaxed i am conscious of drippings helping me into a cab and going with me to piccadilly and of one coming in and finding me stretched on my bed and of his lifting me from it by a single touch just as drippings was going off in quest of the doctor it was he who had met me that night when i was walking with broadham 
but his name i am unable to divulge stay here my friend he said to drippings and pack your master's things there is no need for the doctor i will take him to america and my heart leaped within me for its predictions were verified and the path lay clear before me and now on this last night in england as i pen the last lines of this record of my life during the six months that are past and look back to the spirit in which it was begun and examine the influences which impelled me to write as i have i see that i too have undergone a change and that the time has come when if i wished i can no more descant as heretofore on the faults and foibles of the day among those who have read me there may be some who have so well understood that they will see why this is so if in what i have said i have hurt the feelings of any man or woman in my desire to expose the vices of society at large they will be of those who have failed to detect why i have said thus much and needs must stop here but none the less earnestly would i assure them that it has been against my will and intention to wound any one as i began because i could not help it so i end because i am obliged my task is done the seed which i found in my hand such as it was i have sown whether it rots and dies in the ground or springs up and brings forth fruit is a matter in which i cannot and ought not to have the smallest personal interest end of section thirteen end of piccadilly a fragment of contemporary biography by lawrence oliphant